Hello everyone, I'm Mr. Frisco. Welcome to my real estate podcast. Let's embark on this exciting journey together today on my podcast, Frisco Housing Market Insight. I will talk about your best uh, hedge against uh, the inflation as well. We will discuss taxes with uh, my guest, Andrew Barker, CPA and CFO. And uh, we are going to talk about pickleball in Frisco. Meet Mr. Frisco, a realtor selling residential real estate in Frisco and far north Dallas. As a former professional athlete, track and field and strength and conditioning coach, Mr. Frisco immigrated to the USA 20 years ago with $50 in his pocket, a suitcase, and zero English to pursue the American dream and build a successful real estate business. Hardworking, persistent, customer service, and detail-oriented, Mr. Frisco strives to secure a smooth closing on his client's biggest investment, their home. He puts his experience and knowledge to serve his clients the best way possible. Building his business by referral allows him to maintain relationships with his clients and serve them even after the transaction is closed. This is Frisco Realty News with Mr. Frisco. So let's start with some insights about the Frisco housing market. Having the right data in your fingertips can make it um, make all the difference in your real estate decision. With uh, this comprehensive update, grabs the market pulse and position yourself for success. If you are considering buying or selling a house in Frisco, you must listen this. Here is a quick summary of the main points. Home prices are on the rise in Frisco. Yes, you heard it well, the home prices are on the rise. The median home price in Frisco in September is $693,000. That's a 9.1% jump from uh, last year and 1.2% increase from August. Good news for homeowners and sellers as the value of houses in Frisco continue to climb. The robust real estate market in Frisco is not only benefiting homeowners and sellers, but it also reflects the city's growing appeal as a prime destination for both residents and investors alike. Few homes uh, are for sale on the market in Frisco. There are 18.5% fewer homes on the market compared to the last year, with only 340 homes currently up to for grabs. Uh, grabs. That's also a 7.4% drop from August. With a fewer choices out there, buyers need to make quick decisions. The limited inventory of available homes coupled with um, the uh, decreasing trend in supply puts pressure on buyers to act swiftly and make well-informed decisions in the competitive Frisco real estate market. So, uh, sales have slowed down as well. In September, 165 homes were sold only, which is a slight decrease of 2.4% from the last year. And a 6.8% drop from August. Despite this, the value of homes remains strong due to higher prices. Houses uh, houses in Frisco stayed on the market for an average of 22 days, and this is longer than last year and seven days more than in August. This gives buyers extra time and a negotiation power. 
The pending sales keep going down, with only 127 homes pending sales in September. There was a 26.6% drop from last year and a 20.7% decrease from August. This trend may signal a slowing market creates chance for eager buyers soon. Uh, it's still seller's market in Frisco. Frisco is still very much a seller's market with uh, homes uh, lasting on average 2.2 months, slightly less than the last year. Uh, this means it's still a good time for homeowners uh, thinking about selling. And uh, now it's a good time to maximize your home investment in free school while the cost of homes keeps increasing, making sellers happy. The slowing sales and longer market times may bring opportunities for buyers. With uh, changing in the market, carefully planning as key, uh, is a key and uh, I am here to help guide you through buying or selling uh, providing the needs, support, and knowledge for smart housing decisions in a free school. So, uh, you hearing all about inflation every single day on the news, and you are wondering what's um, and uh, what's uh, your best hedge against inflation. So, let's about uh, talk about it now. So you're thinking about uh, making a big financial move, perhaps the biggest one you will ever make well they buying a home isn't just about having a place to hang your hat it's a financial powerhouse let's talk about why owning a home is the best defense against inflation and how it can positively impact your life you may have not only heard uh, of inflation but you are um, experiencing it as you are listening my podcast now uh, the pesky thing that makes your money worth less over time. Whilst, while stocks can be a, a roller coaster, a home is a solid investment that usually goes up in value. And there is more good news. As you pay off your mortgage, you build up equity, which is the, pri uh, the portion of the home you truly own. This adds to your overall net worth, making your financial, making you financially strong. Plus, homeowners, on average, gaining. Listen to that: thirty-two thousand and three hundred dollars in equity in the last quarter. Impressive, isn't it? Uh, so, every. Uh, ever worried about home uh, changing taxes and insurance costs may affect your monthly payments? Well, uh, with a fixed rate uh, mortgage, that's not an issue. Your monthly payment stays about the same, making it easier to plan your budget. And let's not forget the interest on your mortgage along with property taxes and insurance pre uh, premiums could be tax deductible. Just check with your tax advisor to be sure. One of the coolest thing about owning your home is that you can do what, whatever you want with it. Well, with some exceptions, if you have an HOA. So 
uh, won't paint a bright green wall? Well, you go for it. Are you thinking about uh, renovating a kitchen? No need to ask for permission. And if you ever need extra cash for home uh, projects or anything else, a home equity line of credit has um, uh, you covered. So, uh, solid advice uh, is a critical whether you're buying for your your first home or looking into other kind of property, like a second home or an investment property. And as a trusted expert in real estate, I'm here to help you before, during, and after the sale. Got friends or family with real estate needs um, in another state? Well. Can you? Uh, I can hook you up with excellent agents across the country, making your life that much easier. So why wait? Just take the plunge and invest in your home today. The best defense against inflation. So now it's a time for my guest, the CPA uh, CFO uh, Andrew Barker. Hey, Andrew, how are you? Good, happy to be here. Yeah, good to have you on my show. So, um, you're a CPA and CFO, and uh, we're just, uh, I think, uh, I believe we're just around the corner of the um, tax extension season, correct? That's right. Yeah. Uh, so, it's, uh, it's a good time to, work, to talk taxes, because and the next tax season is coming <laughs> pretty soon. Yeah, uh, that's right. Um, the way it's evolved is everyone thinks of April 15th as they should, but many folks, many people, for valid reasons, it gets pushed out on extension, and that this year that just ended October 15th. So we'll get it, everyone will get a chance to catch their breath, and then before you know it, right, yeah. tax season <laughs> will start again. Yeah, so uh, you, are, you have your own company, mm -hmm. uh, Middle Market Advisors, uh, right. Advisory LLC, um, and uh, you are CPA, mm -hmm. and you are a third-party CFO, which right. uh, people are going to find out what that means, third-party. But um, tell me something about, tell uh, the audience something about you. Um, you have been with uh, KPMG. That's right. Uh, you have uh, had 25 years of experience in the field. Mm -hmm. So uh, I know that you have... Uh, you know, you worked in uh, Mexico. Uh, mm -hmm. You were with KPMG, I believe. That's right. Yes, KPMG uh, and mergers and acquisitions. So it's a it's a great background. So tell us, how did you decide to to jump in that field, and uh, what made you just uh, become a CPA? In the uh, all right, that's a lot. I'll I'll uh, try and give the quick version. Just one by but one. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, to be very transparent. People are like, well, why? that's a great question, right? Why would you become a CPA or any particular profession? And it was process of elimination. I was an undergrad. Okay, I didn't like that. I was just trying everything. I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my adult life, my professional life. And I just started trying everything they offered at City University of New York. And somehow I was doing well at accounting and economics and went the accounting path because because of the, the attractiveness of having that, that license, which is, which is very well valued more, I think even more now than ever. So that, that's what led me to the CPA uh, accounting tax path. It was just 
experimenting in, in college in the academic sense with, okay, what's, let me just, what do I really, what, what, what am I good at? What can I earn a living at? And what is, it has to be at least to some degree enjoyable. So I found that I'm actually pretty good with numbers, whether it's economics, accounting, tax, practical use of numbers um, versus, let's say, physics or, and not quite, I'm not quite into the engineering mindset. So, um, oh. yeah. Well, engineering is numbers too, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, engineering, I, my, I've worked with amazing engineers and they are often very good at financial analysis. A lot of respect for engineering folks. I have family members that are engineers. Just my path, it, it took me more of the, the business number side of it than the yeah. engineering side. Yeah, well, great. So, um, why, why actually someone needs a CPA? So, you know, like you have TurboTax, you have all these softwares, people say, ah, come on, I'm going to pay for CPA. Well, you, know? you know, not everybody needs a CPA. That, let's start there. Not everybody needs a CPA. TurboTax is going to work for a lot of, a lot of folks. If you have a simple tax life and, you know, stereotypically you think of someone who has a, a, a nine-to-five job or a nine-to-nine job, but the point is they're just getting a W-2, they have a home, some children, and it's pretty straightforward and simple. TurboTax, as long as they have the patience to work through TurboTax, it'll probably be fine for them. Where the people need a CPA is someone who has a W-2 job, but then, oh, wait a second, they also own five or six rental homes. Oh, wait, we're not done yet. They also invest in the stock market, so every year they have gains or losses from those investments, and we're still not done because they are invested in some private companies that are limited liability corporations. So right there, that's, a, that's no longer a simple tax return. So that kind of person, probably it's probably... It's more than likely worth the, the expense to have a professional uh, help them through the process. And even more importantly, we tend to think of tax tactically or short-term or an annual process. But that's a mistake because then you lose the ability to plan. When you look at it, okay, I have to do my taxes for this year. But the decisions you make on your tax return this year in terms of things like particular think of investing, whether it's at an investment property or a 401k plan or all these different avenues to invest, they also have tax implications. So if you only manage it as an annual process, whether by yourself using TurboTax or with a professional, you're shortchanging yourself. And that's where the professionals really are going to have a lot of value because at that point, let's be brutally honest, most people don't have either the desire nor the time to become tax experts, right? And then the laws are changing constantly. Yeah. So I'm talking just at the federal level, then add to that the additional complexity, which we don't have so much, thankfully, here in Texas, at the state level, right? So very quickly, as one's life becomes more complex, as it tends to, as, as one becomes more successful in, in one's career and or businesses, it's like going to the doctor once or twice a year. Even if you feel okay, go. Yeah. Prevention. Right? <laughs> right. Prevention and planning, right? So you get early warning. There's a, and in the tax side, it's not, don't think of it negatively. It's, it can be positive. Like, okay, well, you may qualify for something next year based on what we're seeing this year, and we'll be ready to take advantage of it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a realtor, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I have a lot of uh, clients that are, you know, uh, uh, business owners, uh, self-employee, 1099 employee. And, uh, you know, when they say, I, I'm thinking to buy a home. So, uh, uh, all right. Okay. So you need to talk to a mortgage person, but the other person that you need to talk is your CPA because you need to know how to structure your taxes for the next year in order to qualify. Because, you know, for to get qualified for a loan, uh, if you're self-employed, they take the last two years. And that's very important, uh, yeah. that communication between the um, uh, lender and the CPA to file your taxes properly in order to qualify for a loan. That is a great example. I'm going to start using that one as well because, again, it's the value in being proactive. And this is why people say, oh, Listen, you, it's, you're required. To, you're, almost everybody's required to file every year. Almost everybody there are exceptions. Let's keep it simple. Let's presume that you are required to file. Even if you don't owe much or even if you don't think you're getting back much. To your point, you don't want to be ready to buy a home or some other piece of real estate and then, oh, wait a second, I haven't filed last year and now, you, now you're in a rush to file, right? And you may lose, you may lose that investment opportunity because the market's not going to wait. So when, whether it's on a business side, I call it corporate hygiene, like brushing your teeth every day, or on the personal family side, these, these are good practices to maintain your overall financial and tax health of both your family and your business. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Yeah, that's, a, the, that's things that people don't think of. You know, and they got disappointed. Oh, man, you know... The loan officer told me that I am not qualified to buy her, you know, like a small condo. And he said, well, you know, so that's why I always say, my, tell my clients, I advise them to, to you know, advise with CPA and uh, their their uh, loan officer. All right. Uh, so uh, I'm less familiar with your CFO stuff, all right? <laughs> the, the, this is something that a lot of people... Uh, don't understand, but uh, it's more important, I believe, for companies, yes. for small size, middle size companies. Yeah. Um, can you briefly explain the role of yeah, uh, sure. CFO in a company and what you guys do? Okay, I'll do that. Yeah, sure. And there's, to everybody listening or watching, there's a lot of alphabet soup, like in any any profession or specialty. So CFO is chief financial officer. The chief financial officer is responsibly is responsible ultimately for everything accounting related. So accounting includes from your very basic bookkeeping all the way up to your financial statements, your financial statement presentation, uh, financial planning and analysis, so budgeting, projections, forecasts. And what difference it really makes a CFO different than let's say an accountant or a CPA or a controller or other accounting figures, they are directly involved in strategy. So most controllers or the controllership as a title or as a role is typically not strategic. CFOs, by definition, it's strategic. You're you're not only looking at the past, which accounting is designed to to record business history. That's really why the Italians created accounting. But as a CFO, you're using that that accounting knowledge, that business history, to try and evaluate scenarios, business scenarios in the future. 
that's what makes a CFO a CFO is it has to have a strategic component or it's just a CFO and title. And there's a lot of, as we know, a lot of titles that don't really reflect what people are doing, whether they're doing more or less than the title would imply. But that's really what makes a CFO strategic. So the CFO is helping the CEO and the owners look at everything financial accounting and tax related and often working closely these days with IT and, and looking at the, the business plan and the strategic alternatives and, okay, what are our options? And it gets very complicated very quickly because you're not just looking at the past. You're looking at several alternatives. And then if you're doing business in different regions, whether of North America or of the world, or you, it's, just, it's complexity on top of complexity on top of complexity. So what the CFO really does is try to take all that complexity and translate it into relatively easy to understand options for the company's owners and management and the board. Okay, so it's, it looks like uh, CFO plays a crucial role uh, yes. in a company, uh, planning, financial planning, budget, and all these things. Yeah. So uh, can you describe uh, your approach to financial management and long-term planning for your clients? You know, what actually is your approach? My approach has to be first, where are we starting from? So some, and this is really simple. Um, and this also applies to taxes. Do you have good basic bookkeeping done? Even before we talk about accounting, which is generally accepted accounting principles and other levels of complexity, like just plain old mom and pop, you know, coffee shop bookkeeping, do you have that done well? Have you done bank recs? Right? Do you know how many checks you have outstanding? Do you how much money's due to you? I know. Like even for you'd be surprised, even for all cash businesses, I think it's just perhaps they think it's so simple they don't need to pay attention to it. But you, you really do have to have your basic bookkeeping and reporting done for for your ongoing business. Because if that's not an order, I we can't you know, we need the basics done well to add more value. So the first thing is that is that done well? If it isn't, then that's what has to be immediately rectified. If that is done well, which more often than not it is, that's when you start say, okay, here's where we are. What is the current business plan? What is the current strategy? And often, you know, often there isn't there isn't one they can articulate because maybe they're a very successful business, family-owned business. They've been manufacturing widgets around the world, including here in DFW, for decades. And they're like, well, what do you mean strategy? We make widgets and we sell them. Okay, that's valid. Well, do you want to keep making the same exact widgets and selling them to the same exact people? Or what possible changes are ha could become happy coming along in your markets? What possible changes in, on the tax side of things for businesses that could create additional incentives or perhaps barricades for your business? It's being, again, proactive and taking the, the, the financial knowledge you have of the business, making sure it's accurate, and then using that to do to do value-added planning. And value-added planning is not just, you know, marketing speak. It's, you will find that almost always, including with profitable companies, where they've left money on the table and don't even see it because they're profitable, because they're doing well. So like, but well, we're doing great. Yeah, you are doing great. But you have $5 million hung up in receivables in Europe. You have, an, and you have more receivables, accounts receivables, clients haven't paid you in over 90 days. And then you work, work through that with them. Like, is this part of your deliberate business planning that you give more 
terms, more time to your client? If so, that's fine. But let's be explicit about that so we understand why we're doing it, understand what's the cost of that. It's not free. It's a cost to you to provide that additional month of credit to your clients. And the same thing with your inventory hung up in Europe that's slow moving. Is that, was that a deliberate business decision to have that inventory there? If so, let's understand why. Let's understand the cost associated with that. Great. But if that's just, quote, unquote, an accident or, well, it just turned out that way, well, then we need to address how are we converting that $5 million of inventory back to cash? Are we going to do some kind of promotion? Right? So very quickly you get into, into the operations of the business from the financial side as a chief financial officer. And that's not typically done to anywhere near that degree if you're, for the accounting manager or controller etc. And if the firm is big enough to have, the company or business is big enough to have a COO, they'll work closely together. And many times for middle market and smaller businesses, the CFO is really de facto either doing the COO, chief operating officer, pardon me folks, COO, chief operating officer work, or sharing it with the, the CEO or the founder. So I'm, I gave you a long answer, but these are the kind of very quickly, there's so much interconnected that's not always easy to see. Um, and that's often where there's value. And again, all, all, often for our companies that are also already profitable and have lots of cash. Yeah. Well, actually, you partially un, uh, answered part of the other question that I say have. Uh, how do you balance risk management with growth and innovation with your role as a CFO? So you partially... No, let, let me... But I want, If you don't mind, let me elaborate a little on the risk management yeah. part. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's important. It's, an, it's a thorn in my side, the risk management, the risk management aspect of things overall. It's when things are going great, no one cares about it, right? You don't, you don't need insurance. Nobody cares when things go great. Right? But then when there's, you know, when there's a, a tornado, when the tornado hits your, your, your factory or your warehouse or your office, I hope you had insurance, right? It's, it's so that's the sec The other thing is risk management. Let's think, what is the most basic aspect of risk management. We just said it, insurance. You would be shocked, and if any business owners that are listening or other professionals, go ahead and check. When's the last time you actually looked at what's in your insurance, what your, what your insurance plan covers? Your business insurance. And it applies to your personal and, and other insurance as well. But right now we're talking at a business level, right? You'd be amazed at how many companies, and well, again, well-run profitable companies that are growing, great companies, but it sort of falls through the cracks. Well, it's not really, you know, it's sort of, we have insurance in place so it doesn't get reviewed. It's not considered strategic, right? It's not the most exciting thing on anyone or important things on anyone's immediate agenda. But then you'll find, wait, and I'm thinking of a real case for a client here in Plano. Not only were they overpaying for their insurance by a significant amount, they were underinsured. So they had the worst of both worlds. They were paying ex ex very high premiums, but if they weren't covered against common things such as any kind of accusation related to the Me Too movement, they were inadequately, inadequately covered. They didn't even have a, a policy in place related to information technology. So it's like, wait a second, we need to get some quotes because I'm not an ins insurance expert. But as a chief financial officer, 
I look at the, the insurance for all my clients, so I, you, you start learning the basics and you know who to ask the questions to. It's like, we've got to fix this immediately. You, we, this, you can't go on this way because none of us can predict the future. And if that tornado hits, the, hits us tomorrow, we better have coverage. And the way I see it as a CFO is, God forbid that tornado did hit us, I don't want to be the one to have to show up and say, oh, yeah, we didn't have adequate coverage for that. Wow. Okay. So in your experience, what are the most significant challenges CFOs face today and how do you, nav- uh, how do you navigate through them? So business environment is getting, you know, very complicated and it's always been, but it's lately, I don't know. So you're, you're in this field. So tell me what are the, your significant challenges are. Yeah, well, our motto is we like it complicated. <laughs> it's good that we do because it isn't going to get any more simpler, as you're saying. The biggest, the biggest challenge is, and this applies to all fields, not just uh, CFO, chief financial officer, but it's the things that you know you need to learn something about, you, you learn about it, or you bring on the resources, you, you address it. It's trying to put your, trying to think of a, think ahead to where you'll be blindsided and everyone gets so caught up and so busy with the ongoing closing out this month. How are we doing on our sales? You know, how are we doing on our, 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 our bank loans or equity capital coming in? All these things that are really are important that you, ha- that you don't make time for things. And when, what I, the way I do this, and it's a really practical way to sort of try and force you, you and your team to do it is, what are we forgetting that we're going to walk out of here and wish we had we had mentioned? And let's take a second look. Is there anything, even if it's low probability that we, like, or another way to put the question is, okay, what's the most unexpected thing that could happen related to this? It's just like to, to try and have a, a mental discipline of expecting the unexpected, so you're not you're not uh, ever totally blindsided. Okay. Okay, so let's um, let's talk about some when people just talk with CPAs. When people talk with me, for example, right. the first question is, "How is the market?" <laughs> right, um, right. market so is great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so when people are listening interview with the CPA and CFO, they always, you know, uh, expect to hear any. Any advice, uh, simple, uh, major, but uh, let me ask you something. Yeah. There are a lot of, a lot of um, self-employed mm-hmm. uh, and their advice to run their business through um, um, corporation, LLC or S corporation. Why? Okay. Let's say I'm a realtor. Okay, okay? Let me, uh, let's keep it simple. The most basic reason, the most important reason, and they is, I'm, going to, I'm being specific here, not an S corporation, let's start, keep it simple, let's start with LLC. The, the, the most important reason is it's not accounting or tax, it's risk management. It's that LLC is providing you, as long as you, you set it up correctly and maintain, and maintain it correctly, it's it's providing with the most basic level of corporate, so to speak, legal defense. So if you, you have an LLC and that LLC is involved in a lawsuit, well, the, whoever is suing has to sue that LLC first. They, they may sue you in parallel, but when your lawyer gets involved, 
they, they have to go through that LLC first. So it's providing you a first line of defense. In plain English, that LLC is providing you a first line of defense and you cannot get that particular first line of defense any other way other than having a legal entity. So that, in a nutshell, is really why. S-Corporation and LLC are not synonymous people. They're not okay. synonyms. Um, and as we could do a whole, we could do a whole podcast just on S-Corps and LLCs, but keeping it as simple as possible, LLC, is as, is as simple as it gets and gives you that first level of protection. Um, and quite frankly, it's a more professional way to run your business. So okay. yes, everybody should, if they're going to be in that line of business for anything more than a year or two, well, why wouldn't you? They're not expensive to form. You can ha- and you can have your attorney help you or you can do it yourself. Again, whether it's TurboTax or forming an LLC, if you do not feel comfortable to do it yourself, do not do it yourself. This is an area where it's, you do not want to learn the hard way, and this is not like falling off the bicycle and skinning your knees, and you get up and try again. No, this is falling off the bicycle down the side of a mountain, and you'll live, but it's just going to be painful in a long recovery period. So if you feel comfortable, you go ahead, and there's plenty of information out there, and you do it on your own. But if you have the slightest doubt, get a professional to help you. Okay. Uh, and tax-wise, let's say I'm a realtor, and uh, I just run my business through an LLC. What is the difference tax-wise if I file my taxes as a person, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how what's going to be the difference to file my taxes through the LLC? There's not going to be, taking the simplest case study here, right? And this simplest of all possibilities, very little. You're still going to have, you will ha- still have a Schedule C for that business either way. Okay. Just okay. when you have the LLC on the top of that Schedule C, you'll have to put the name of the LLC and the ID number for that LLC. Okay. So, so uh, yeah, the LLC, it's really a great, something that's really valuable that's been done for, for us here in the U.S. in terms of legal corporate structure. It's, 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 why ever, it's, it's, really, uh, it's really been a great benefit. It's not overly complicated. Okay. Um, any other simple taxes for our audience that they have to know when they approach the tax season? Just three lines or something. This, this you know, th- there's no, there's no magic bullet, so to speak. It really is like so many other aspects of life. Be really well organized. Don't wait till the last minute because you know if you go for help whether it's to a tax attorney, a CPA, or whomever, an enrolled agent, <laughs> you know, in March and April, they have no, they're already working 12, 14, 16 hours a day. But you want, this is one of those cases where you want to be first online. Get, if you have a simple tax life, you'll have all your documents by early February. What's the advantage of waiting? If you do money back, get your money sooner. Which that does motivate a lot of people. And if you're not sure, well, then find out. And if you owe, find out how much you owe so you have time between February and April 15th to plan it or to make other arrangements, right? There's no benefit to waiting. It should be on everyone's calendar. Like, just become another one of those things you do every year, like taking an annual vacation or a birthday. I know it's not as pleasant as a birthday or a vacation. But if you make it habitual, it becomes less scary. And by year three or four, you've got it. And every year you learn a little bit. You start asking more questions. You're, you're, if you're working with a professional, 
they're helping you start doing more planning as your, your career advances and your business grows. It, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be this horrifying thing it's become. All right. Well, don't wait to the last moment. No, Actually, don't. that applies to everything. You know, yeah. No. <laughs> don't and then to last. make it worse, there's people that wait to the last minute twice. <laughs> they wait to the last minute file extension, <laughs> and then they're at the last minute again. And this year was in October. Oh, boy. Come on now. You're, now you're, you're, now you're miss, I call it missing the easy goals. I, um, don't miss the easy goals. It's just now you're just people, play, you're, yeah. Now you're playing against yourself. Why, why do that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's right. All right. Um, you're a networker, so yeah, this is the way how we I'll, met, actually, network, right. networking, uh, which I believe is a great uh, way to grow your business uh, relationships. Um, and I know that you're running your event. Yeah, uh, it's just a uh, it's a Hispanic. Uh, tell me yeah. more about that event. <laughs> so yeah, we have a, a monthly event under Latin America professionals. Um, it's open to everybody, folks. You do not have to speak Spanish or Portuguese. You just have to be a good person. We have a lot of people that are just, you know, interesting cosmopolitan people that want to get out and meet a different crowd. But it, the, the underlying idea is, and we do have a lot of people that speak Spanish and Portuguese, is the, it's the people that are either of, from Latin America, have done business in Latin America, or love to go to Latin America as a tourist or love the history of the region, have any interest at all in the region of Latin America, which is huge. And again, includes Brazil, where Portuguese is spoken. Um, and it's really evolved to just become, it's become an event where we, we network the Latin, the Latin American way or the Latin way. So it's more relaxed. It's more social. It's not, we exchange business cards and virtual business cards, but it's, 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 it's a different rhythm. It's more welcoming. It's more like if we see someone come in looking for us, they're a first timer. We're welcoming them in right away. What's your name? And like, just a little, like, what do you like to do? And then, because immediately we might think of someone else that night to connect you with. Um, yeah, it's pretty, you know, Dallas is one of the best cities in the world, literally. And I'm from New York City, which is no slouch at networking, but this city's amazing. DFW is amazing for networking. It's right. So part of it's just taking advantage of that diversity. Um, and that, to me, it's diversity, and the, the true meaning of the word diversity is we're not, we don't have any checklist. You're just getting these really different, interesting people from all walks of life and all over the world, whether it's business, art, I mean, music. Uh, it's just, I love it. I love it. Uh -huh. um, yeah, so everybody's welcome. It's informal. We change the venue every month, and we have some favorite places, and it's Latin America. The professionals, it's on LinkedIn, Facebook. Okay. So and it's uh, what's the name of the, of the event? Latin America Professionals. Latin American Professionals. How yeah. This is how people can find the event. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, Andrew, we have to wrap up. Uh, <laughs> but um, if somebody would like to reach out to you, yeah, just what's your contact information? The easiest how can you do way, that? I'm really easy to find. It's middlemarketadvisory.com. That's the website. Contact info is on there. Uh, Middle Market Advisory is also on both LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, just added an, inst an Instagram page, and and uh, so we, yeah, we're real. I mean, real easy to find. My email is Andrew Barker at middlemarketadvisory.com. Barker B A R K E R. I I'm pretty easy to find. And if worst case, they can always ask you for my. 
absolutely. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, thank you very much thank for, for coming to me, my uh, podcast, fun. and um, I will see you around. Yes, definitely. All right. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you. Ciao. Okay, so now it's time for our um, social update for free school. And we have a sneak peek at the Hub District's newest attraction coming. And if you like Pickleball, you should know about the sneak peek at the Hub District newest attraction that is coming in 2025. It's just around the corner. Uh, Frisco is getting ready to become an even more exciting place to live and visit. Pickle and social, along with Fairway Social will open a fantastic entertainment spot at Frisco uh, Station in 2025. This venue will bring sports, food, and uh, fun together like never before. Let's us drive in the sneak peek at the Hub District's newest attraction. So, if you have pickleball, you are in for a treat. The new venue will have both indoor and outdoor pickleball courts. You can take lessons, play in, play in leagues, join tournaments, or just enjoy a casual game with friends. It's a dream come true for pickleball fans. But there's more to this uh, place than just pickleball. You will find sports uh, sim uh, sim uh, simulators, live shows, great food, uh Uh, sign uh, signature drinks and games like uh, cornhole, beach volleyball, and ping pong. It's the perfect sport for uh, spot for people looking for some ex uh, excitement. This unique venue combines two great ideas: pickle and social, and farewell social. Pickle and social is known for its top-notch pickleball. Uh, courts and the idea of mixing sports with uh, food, drinks, and entertainment. Farewell Social offers sports simu uh, simulators for various games, including golf. Uh, this, this partnership promises to create a fantastic experience for all uh, and everyone. You will find uh, this uh, exciting place in the hub district of uh, Frisco uh, Station. Uh, it covers about 30 acres and offers dining, shopping, entertainment, and events. It's the perfect location for this new adventure. So it's coming in 2025. Construction starts in 2024 and will be, um, and uh, the venue will open in the spring of 2025. Frisco is about to become a top destination for sports and fun. Whether you're a pickleball pro or a sports lover or want a good time, this new venue will have something for you. So stay tuned for updates on this fantastic addition uh, to Frisco. Get ready, enjoy sports, entertainment and delicious food in the city, in city's heart. So Thank you for joining me on this episode. And before we sign off, don't forget to subscribe to my postcard and share it with friends and family who may benefit from the information. Your support means a lot for me to me. Until the next time, happy investing and house hunting. Music